Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. The Morning Show. The Home Team. No, it's both. It's the crossover with Sam Franco and Chris Brave. Crossover, step back! Ah! Right here on 960theref.com. What's up, 960theref listeners? Sam Franco, Chris Brain, back at it again. Another edition of the Crossover Podcast right here on 960theref.com. That's where you find us, 960theref.com. You can also find us on iTunes. Subscribe, give us a, a review, a like, whatever you do on the iTunes application there to uh, let them know that you like us uh, because we would greatly appreciate that. Uh, a lot to get to today on this edition of the Crossover uh, we'll talk Georgia football as they laid waste to Mississippi State and now turn their attentions to Neyland Stadium. We'll also talk about the Falcons, who might be the luckiest 3-0 and team in the history <laughs> of the NFL. But they haven't even trailed yet. No, they have not, which is bizarre, but they have been able to find ways to win these games. And what do great teams do? They find ways to win games. So that's what the Falcons have done right now. And we will touch on the latest scandal that has rocked college basketball and cost Rick Pitino his job. And the AD yes. at, uh, at Louisville his job, too. So, wait, I mean, what do we have now? Bobby Petrino is just running around up there unchecked. Yeah, and by the way, Dave and I were talking about this on the morning show recently. Like, it was so weird how when you ask yourself the question, who are the slimiest coach? Like, who's the slimiest coach in college football? Who's the slimiest coach in college basketball? Oh, they're both at the same place. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I would uh, – with basketball, I think it's, an, it's, it's hands down it's Pitino or was – um, football, yeah, I mean, Petrino would be at the top of the list. Yeah, for sure. Top of the so head, yeah. it was just weird how both of them were at the same place. So we'll get to that later on in the episode and how this has also touched an SEC school, Auburn, which shocks absolutely nobody, of course. No, they're always into it. But, I mean, I think we also have to say the, the assistant coach at Oklahoma State that got arrested, Lamont Evans, mm-hmm. the allegations with him stem from his time with Frank Martin at South Carolina. So they're not coming out no. of this clean either no they just went to the final four that is correct so we'll get more on that a little bit later on but first how about them dogs just absolutely obliterating mississippi state on saturday night between the hedges great performance all the way around from georgia jake Fromm was great the running backs played well the defense just continued to be unbelievable so much so that they forced Mississippi State to be a one-dimensional passing team, and we saw what happened when Mississippi State got down big and they tried to pass the ball. Two straight drives ended in interceptions for the Bizarro Bulldogs. So great performance all the way around from Georgia, and one that you know a lot of people thought that game was going to be closer. I mean, the line closed at like two or two and a half. <laughs> That's where it had opened. I mean, it was a weird week watching that line last week because it did open at uh, at three. Okay. And at some point last week, went all the way up to seven. But yeah, by the time the game kicked off, it had gotten back down to about two and a half or three uh, or three points. So it was interesting, all the uh, all the activity with that thing last week. But it was, I mean, I was just pretty much from offense, defense, special teams. That was the perfect performance for Georgia Saturday night. I mean, I don't think there's anything 
to uh, to nitpick about it. It was a straight up domination, and I, I think we you have to go all the way back to that LSU victory in two thousand four for the last time Georgia had a uh, just had a solid on all fronts game like uh, like it had last Saturday night. And uh, but keep in mind though, what happened the week after that LSU game in 04? A loss to Tennessee, so let's not let history repeat itself this weekend. No, of course not. But uh, one thing that I want to make perfectly clear, I I wrote this in my game recap article on 960theref.com this week, and I will continue to champion this. As long as Jake Fromm is playing the way he's playing right now, you cannot disrupt what's going on, and you can't go to Jacob Eason even when he's healthy. Yeah, I mean, I don't, you know, we'll. I guess we'll see what happens when uh, when Eason does get uh, healthy and what the coaches decide to do. But you know, for now, it's still we're at a point where Eason is still not a hundred percent. He's still not ready to come back, and so you know, there's really nothing to stir up there. It's just Fromm is going to be the starting quarterback. But you know, at the end of the day, here's the the worst case scenario as I see it is Georgia's coaches decide that Eason was our starting quarterback at the beginning of the year for a reason, and they go back to him, and if he is if he struggles, then guess what? Georgia could just go back to Fromm. Yeah, but what if he struggles and costs you a game that you could have won? You know what I mean? Like right. I just oh, I don't see it. why you would even bring that possibility up because right now the offense is running much smoother under Jake Fromm than it did at any point last season with Jacob Eason as the quarterback. I mean, I it it is, but I mean, there are I, some different circumstances, like the offensive line's playing better and things like that. But still, I mean, you just don't see those those hiccups that Georgia's offense had with Eason running the show. True, but I still think that the the primary success for this season so so far. I mean, we're getting caught up in the quarterback, quarterback, quarterback in the offense. Mm-hmm. But the reason Georgia's four and zero is its defense. Well, of course, and um, and that's another thing Eason didn't have last season was a defense playing at the level that uh that it is right now because um and you know again it's if you go back and you look at Fromm's statistics at Notre Dame if that was last year with Georgia's defense last year then Georgia loses at Notre Dame oh, yeah. this uh this season but the w- reason Georgia was able to survive and win that game in South Bend was Georgia's defense this season is just uh I think it's the best defense Georgia's had since the Van Gorder days. In, oh, I'd go I'd go early that far stages too. of Rick uh, Rick's tenure. Absolutely. Here. You're looking at like 2002, 2005. Uh those were really good defenses. They won SEC championships. 2007 should have been a team that won uh, an SEC championship or at least had a had a chance to unfortunately. Well, it played for a natty. <laughs> that yeah. that's that's very true as well, but yeah, you look at some of those really good defenses uh, through that time period and this defense is as good if not better. Uh, than than those defenses. I mean, right now, the way that Roquan Smith, Davin Bellamy, and uh, Lorenzo Carter are playing, the way that the defensive line is playing, and as soon as the the defensive backfield gets Malcolm Parrish back for good, I mean, you got to feel even more confident about how they have been playing it. And Parrish did play against Mississippi State, not a whole lot. Yeah, he but, was in uh, there at the end. Yes, but so he, um, yeah, DeAndre Baker had a uh, had a pick in that in in the game. Baker's so. pick was great too because he totally read what Fitzgerald was doing and he kind of he kind of dummied Fitzgerald into it because he broke on the route as soon as the ball was thrown and then the the great uh, uh tip from J.R. Reed to the the jumping interception there by uh by Dominic Sanders who uh tied Kirby Smart on the all-time list of yeah. uh, Georgia players with interceptions so yeah and had Baker not slipped he probably would have taken that thing to the house we would have had a knot George ended up scoring on that drive anyway so um, they they were able to cash it in, but that was just it was straight up domination, 
And, uh, you know, Georgia definitely right now looks like it, head and shoulders the, the class of the SEC East, but you still got to – I think you, st- you, you got to take a deep breath and realize, though, that the focus that Georgia had in that game, the importance of that game for Georgia, it's still going to be hard to, to match that week in and, and week out. And so much of, of, of college football, it is. The schedule means it matters so much, and it's about when you catch teams and when teams catch you. And that was no doubt, that was a perfect, perfect spot for Georgia last week, being at home against Mississippi State, and a Mississippi State team that had come off just a thrashing of LSU. So now Georgia has to be careful because they're kind of in the position that Mississippi State was in last week now is to avoid going on the road and um, and getting upset, as would be the case here. I mean, Mississippi State was an underdog last week. I mean, the difference would be Georgia's – Mississippi State came here last week and played a much better team than uh, Georgia will be going to face this weekend in uh, in Knoxville. Yeah, can we just go ahead and say also that LSU is not a good football team? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it when – you know, as the dust continues to settle on the season, that uh, that 30-point win might not seem as impressive as it did at the uh, at the time. But still, I mean, you beat LSU by 30 in your Mississippi State. You're well, going to revel in that all week. And I think that was a scenario that just set up well for Georgia to, to do what it did last Saturday. But now to go on the road in Knoxville and just to think that you're going you're gonna to come out with that same focus that they had last Saturday night, it's going to be tough to do a again and I mean I'll just just sit here and you'll just you'll take a win uh no matter how narrow it is at uh at this point and you mentioned how Mississippi State's win over LSU might not look as good as the season goes along Georgia's win over Notre Dame is starting to look better and better the way that that team is playing yeah I mean it's still holding up and you know hopefully the Irish can make that continue to hold up I you know I I guess I mean at this point now I guess we've gotten to the stage where if Georgia now just handles its business the rest of the way and gets to Atlanta with no more than one loss with you'll have a crack at Alabama and if if somehow you can beat Alabama then you'll be in the playoff you're gonna be in the playoff it doesn't matter if Notre Dame loses every game from here on out and look Georgia is probably going to be favored in every game but the road trip to Auburn for yeah. the rest of the season yeah, I, yeah, they'll be favored now in the cocktail party. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're favored this week. They'll definitely be favored against Missouri. I mean, right now they're favored by seven and a half at Neyland Stadium. Like, when does that happen? Uh, yeah, and again, that's I would just be careful though. I of mean, course, yeah, no, yeah. Yeah. that game's probably going to be a lot closer than people think. Exactly, because I mean, it always is. it doesn't a, yeah, right. It doesn't feel like it should be. I get it. I mean, Tennessee just barely beat UMass, and we thrashed Mississippi State. Remember the Pig Howard game where he fumbled through the end zone, and that's the only reason Georgia won the game. I think Georgia was a pretty decent sized favorite for that game, and Georgia probably should have beaten them a lot better than they did. Yeah. Well, we had a big lead in that game and got that was I mean, that's kind of been a theme with Tennessee lately, is big leads that we've let get away. The last two losses to them, we've had seventeen point leads, haven't we? And yeah, the one at Nealon a few years ago. And then last year's Chubb game. got hurt. Last year's game we yeah. were up seventeen nothing. And then in that game that ended up going to overtime when Howard fumbled out of the end zone, we were up big in that game and they yeah, came exactly. Back. So Georgia just needs to take care of business against the uh, the Vols and uh, and go into Nealon and and you know just do what they've done all season that business like approach. So well, you know we've had like disaster plays last year. Uh, they sacked Eason in the end zone. He fumbled. They got a, a cheap touchdown that way. That was they, pretty much the play that won. I know that they won on the hail mary, but that play I think is the one that probably overall won them the game. Yeah, they and and the game the Pig Howard game that we did end up winning though when they on during their comeback run they blocked a punt I mm-hmm, believe. Mm-hmm. 
and got uh, so we had a special teams disaster. We had an offensive disaster. So they've had a lot of knots against us, and so far with the three phases humming along the way it has, Georgia's avoided any of those catastrophic mistakes. So big game in Neyland Stadium this weekend, and uh, hopefully the dogs, just like I've said, go there, take care of business, and not have any of those typical things that happen against Tennessee happen so that they can uh, just keep on rolling as the season goes along. We'll jump now to the Atlanta Falcons, who I mentioned a second ago might be the luckiest 3-0 and team in NFL history. Uh, you know, if, if it hadn't been for uh, Jordan Howard, uh, dropping that ball uh, in the Bears game uh, at the goal line, basically, then, you know, they probably win that game. And then this past weekend, uh, just a very strange finish to that game where the Lions had like a, a first and 30 or a second and 30 at one point, and then a defensive holding penalty negates that. Yeah, the five yards automatic first down. Right. Ridiculous. Which is ridiculous. And then uh, Desmond Trufant has that holding call or the, the pass interference call in the end zone that puts a ball in the one. So there was there was a whole lot of uh, weird stuff going on uh, in that game. Matt Ryan throws three interceptions, although he really threw two interceptions. I mean, one of them was completely Mohamed Sanu's fault. The ball hits him right in the hands yeah. and just pops off his hands. And uh, was that the pick way. six one? No, the pick six was Ryan just yeah. threw it right at uh, Glover Quinn, uh, or he threw it in that direction and Quinn jumped he the just route. Jumped the route, yeah, that's yeah. Right. So uh, not the greatest performance on offense, but look, the Lions are a good football team. I don't think anybody is is denying that. So for the Falcons to be 3-0 and right now, I mentioned it earlier in this uh, episode, great teams find ways to win games in any way, shape, or form. And that's what the Falcons have done so far this season. Yeah, the, and the Falcons have won two tough games on the road, which isn't easy to do. And it's it's weird. Like, you feel like some Falcons fans now are, you're, you're like worrying about Atlanta being 3-0, and but it's like a flimsy 3-0 and because they could easily be 1-2 and as if the Falcons should be blowing every team out that the Falcons play. It's like, it's the Falcons. And they're 3-0. and There are two undefeated teams left in the NFL, and one of them is the Atlanta Falcons. When your MVP quarterback throws three picks in a game on the road and, and you still, still win? win the game, to me, I'm like, I don't know. that. They, I mean, where are they going to lose? If they don't lose that game, then what game are they going to lose? No, I agree with you. I think that Falcons fans should count themselves very fortunate that uh, they were, that the Falcons were able to come back and, and, and win that game, even though your MVP quarterback did throw those three interceptions. And the Falcons' defense, even without Vic Beasley, is still playing very well. They got the goal line stand. Thank goodness Brian Poole got his hand on a golden tape there before he went to the end zone. And some were like, well, that's just a crappy, unfair way to lose a game. It's like, well, even if you didn't have the 10-second runoff and, and that had never happened and they had counted him down before he got into the end zone, that would have been eight seconds for them to get up, either spike the ball or throw a play. I mean, They could have done it. You think so? Yes. In fact, they even pointed out that they did it last year against the Vikings and had to actually cover 23 yards to get downfield in seven seconds and get another play. So off. you think they could have done they it? They could have done it. And, and I'm I don't just, know. It's, that's it's tight. That's like a crummy way to end a game. It is, and but I, it's, it's the letter of the law. Well, it is. I'm not. I mean, the Falcon they they applied the letter of the law, and the Falcons didn't get a, a cheap win or anything like that. But that is something I think the NFL should go back and revisit. That your officials mess up the call. I mean, the officials said they gotten the call right. Oh, they and said I it was believe, a touchdown when it wasn't. Yeah. Well, but or they yeah had they said no, it's not a touchdown. He was down, and the Lions had the chance to get up there and run another play. Then I believe maybe they, one untimed down. Right. But but then see, I mean I get it. Like then from the from the other team's standpoint, you're, you're like, mad. 
well, they would have had a rush, and now they now get they a chance to set up. To yeah, 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 but still, I mean, I still don't think the game should end because the officials screw something up. <laughs> if the officials, if the the officials missed a call, and then all of a sudden you're telling the other team like, sorry, not only do we screw that up, but also now the game is over. <laughs> yeah, I, I can see where you're coming from there. There's no question about it, but it, it, it's definitely something that Falcons fans have been talking a lot about. And it's like, look, you're 3-0, and just enjoy it. You've got the Bills coming in to the Georgia Dome this weekend. That should be a game Atlanta wins to get to 4-0. and And if that's the case, I mean, you're looking at a team that, that's 4-0 and and has three wins already over the uh, NFC North. You know, it's funny. The Falcons, a few years ago, had all their, like, opening games against the NFC East, I think all four of them, and they won all four of them. Yeah. So they were like the NFC East champs after like week four. You could be uh, whenever the Vikings game is, you know, you win that one and you swept all your games outside of the division or at least in the division that you're playing against that season. That'd be very impressive. And that Vikings team, even with Case Keenum last week, did a number on the Bucks. So that's a team you're going to have to look forward to to facing later in the year. But right now I think the Falcons are they're the class of the NFC and, and they continue to find ways to win, like I said. So – You've got Devontae Freeman still playing very well. You've got uh, Tevin Coleman. I mean, he, Tevin Coleman had a huge reception down the sideline uh, in that game against the Lions. And and Julio Jones, maybe a little banged up. I mean, that hit he took where he landed on his shoulder did not look great. Right, but they're calling it a lower back injury. Right. So, I don't know exactly what, but it looked like he landed like right on his shoulder and it looked terrible, but uh, hopefully he's okay. And I, I just think this team overall – is playing about as good a football as they did on their run last season. I mean, you don't want Matt Ryan throwing three interceptions in a game, but the defense looks better than they were last season. They, they look more experienced, even faster. You know, Deion Jones still playing very well. Devondre Campbell seems to be more of a presence on defense this year. Duke Riley's had some good moments. And uh, even Tack McKinley uh, got a sack uh, last week. So uh, that all of those things are, as Dan, uh, not Dan Quinn, as uh, Mike Smith used to say, arrow up. For the Atlanta Falcons. And the next four games are against the AFC East. He's got the Bills, the Dolphins, then go to New England and the Jets. So. I mean, you should win. You, you should pretty easily win three out of those four. Absolutely. And I know you'd look at, well, the game at New England is going to be the toughest to get. Can, but the, yeah. the Patriots right now have given up the most points in the NFL. They've oh, given yeah. up uh, 95 points. That game could turn into a shootout for sure. Well, yeah. So that's what, are they going to stop Atlanta's offense? I wouldn't think so. Right. So, but and the next two games, I mean, Buffalo this week. Then you get an off week and get to play the the Dolphins. If and you I've, lose to Jay Cutler, there are some serious. Sure. Problems. And I mean, I've been pointing out the the schedule the Dolphins have leading up to that, where they played in L.A. two weeks ago. Last week they played in New York. This week they're playing in London. Next week they'll play in Miami, and then they've got to come up to uh, Atlanta. So it's, I mean, they're just they're they're zigzagging everywhere, and then the Falcons are going to be coming off a bye. It's like the Dolphins have no chance to win no, that the, game. Not the Falcons, that they'd have a good one anyway, but... The Falcons need to take advantage of these next four weeks. You know, if you win that game in New England, great. If you don't, whatever, but... They should be 6-1. and one. Absolutely. If you lose to the Jets, the Bills, or the Dolphins, that's not good. Those no. are teams you're better than, and those are teams you need to beat. Yeah, they should be 6-1 and one going into a game in Charlotte against the Panthers. If you're 6-1, and one, you're pretty much guaranteed to go to the playoffs barring some sort of epic collapse. Yeah, I mean, you would then need to win four of your last eight games. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so go he, basically go four and four. Exactly, and you have you wouldn't have even played a division game yet against a Saints team that looks terrible, against a Bucks team that had a pretty good Just game against the Case Bears, Keenum. but they looked really bad against Case Keenum. 
and a Panthers team that doesn't really look all that great either. Yeah, they just lost to the Saints. Right. And their offense, even when they were 2-0, and but they had played the Bills and the Niners, and their offense had been bad in those two games. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you can't if you can't move the ball or score against those two, then you're, you're going to struggle against just about anybody else. Yes, you've got problems, uh, as they say. Uh, so that's, uh, that's our wrap on the Falcons. Hopefully they uh, continue to play well and, uh, as we said, at least go 3-1 and one over the next four games to uh, put themselves in a good position for the remainder of the season after that. Uh, we'll jump now to this college basketball scandal, which has rocked the NCAA and rocked some programs, including Arizona, Auburn, Oklahoma State, Louisville, and I'm sure that there are some other programs that have not been named yet. As soon as uh, the birds start singing that yeah. may be impacted by this as well. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, college basketball coaches probably uh, squirming. But I will correct you, uh, no longer should Auburn be referred to as Auburn. They're now University One from uh, here on out, as they're described in that, uh, I guess, in all the, the affidavits and whatnot that were released by the uh, the FBI and the U.S. attorneys. But And again, keep in mind, the coach currently at Oklahoma State, the allegations against him stem from his time at South Carolina, he was an assistant with Frank Martin at Kansas State, then uh, went with them to South Carolina. So, I mean, to me, South Carolina is kind of deeper in this maybe than Oklahoma State is. So there's two schools in the uh, in the SEC. And aren't those, those are two of the schools Georgia plays every year twice, right? Auburn and South Carolina and hoops. Yeah, that is correct. Yeah, and so. the Gamecocks just went to the uh, to the Final Four also. Oh, imagine that. And, you know, Frank Martin, uh, you know, this this new and improved Frank Martin that doesn't scream on the sidelines anymore and all that stuff. Yeah, give me a right. break. Well, and you look, okay, I mean, Sundarius Thornwell was – he was a kid from South Carolina, but then, who? I mean, their freshman point guard last year was from, like, the Bronx. Yeah. And, you know, they've all of a sudden they've got this – national recruiting profile and you know and you'd like to give them the benefit of the doubt and say like well that has to everything it's that arena they built oh yeah that arena right. they yeah. built now you wonder well like oh maybe it's that or uh, uh you know working these shoe companies and uh, taking these bribes and uh and whatnot but it'll be an interesting uh, uh, time and thing to watch that's for uh that's for sure the feeling i get though is like this is basically the government now doing the ncaa's dirty work and because uh, I get the sense this is less about the you know the idea of fraud, bribery, um, money laundering, and more about just it's the the amateurism mm-hmm. and how these amateur athletes are getting uh, are are getting shuffled off to these different schools and shoe contracts and even with agents. Yeah, and according to um, sports director of WAVE TV in Kentucky. Uh, it looks like uh, Tom Urich, the AD, who got fired at Louisville, was asked to fire Patino. He refused, and so both were fired. Okay, yeah. Well, I mean, so so he didn't want to fire Patino? It's like, dude, you don't want to save your job? Yeah. <laughs> um, also, I'm seeing something from uh, Patino's contract. Uh, employer has the right to terminate this employment contract for just cause or impose other appropriate discipline, in which case prior to such action, employees shall be given 10 days prior written notice and an opportunity to be heard. The term just cause with respect to employer's right to terminate the employment contract shall be understood to include, uh, you know, a bunch of random stuff. But uh, apparently uh, if, if it is 10 days, then, you know, we, we may be dealing with this for a little while longer. But I, I wouldn't assume so because from what I've seen, 
uh, on Twitter and everything like that, he has indeed been fired. Yeah, well, and I'm 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 sure too when it comes to the lawyers will get involved and figure out whether or not they owe him money, how much money they owe him, if the school can wiggle off the hook with that just uh, cost thing. I mean, I, it did strike me last night that. Patino issued a statement, and the statement was issued through his uh, or by his legal counsel, and uh, it didn't come from the school. Right. So you know the the lawyers had already been getting involved at uh, at that point, but um, yeah, I mean it's certainly not surprising when you heard that stuff yesterday. But how how in the world was Patino going to get out of this? I know he claimed ah I had no idea what was going on, but it just yeah, got to right. the point where okay, it, it legitimately if we want to believe you and trust that you didn't know anything about the hookers you were using to recruit players, the fact that you you paid now a hundred thousand dollars to get this kid Brian Bowen. At the time that you were being put on probation, I mean, two weeks after that, after their probation was announced for that previous thing, they were uh, they were paying a hundred thousand dollars to the family of Brian Bowen to get hit. And if you want to say I, I don't know anything about it, well, then that's at the point. It's that's just as bad as not having any idea right. that your program is uh, being run this way and you're the head coach is just as bad as if you were deeply involved in it. Which, by the way, he was <laughs> anyway. Even if he wanted to pretend like he wasn't. Yeah, now I'm seeing all the tweets come through. Uh, Barrett Salee from CBSSports.com. Bobby Vitrino is currently the most stable aspect of the Louisville Athletic Department. Yeah, but boy, now he I mean he gets to run wild up there. Uh, yes, he does. Who knows? Yes, he does. So, uh, if you're a, a Louisville fan, well, unfortunately, it's all starting to uh, hit the fan uh, right now. But I mean, the crazy thing about all this is that it's unfortunate that student athletes continue to get exploited by bigger, larger entities here. You know, the NCAA and the amateurism model, say what you will about it, has been something that is, for what it's worth, been exploiting student-athletes for a long, long time. And now you've got, because of that system, because the athletes want compensation and and because these are 17- and 18-year-old kids that are being tempted by all of these these outside factors – you have a system in place now that yields to stuff like this. Well, yeah. I mean, the NCAA is what has created this black market yeah. for coaches to have to go out and try and recruit uh, through these uh, various channels because, uh, you know, the idea of this amateurism, which, by the way, for the NCAA is whatever it wants it to be because, you know, the reality is, and not to get all like, you know, Webster's Dictionary, but these players aren't really amateurs because they are getting something in exchange for their athletic prowess. It just happens to be the fixed price of college tuition. But the more and more you see that these schools commit NCAA infractions and are giving money to these prominent five-star players, it just, it, it, it proves as much as, uh, you know, people would deny it, and colleges will deny it, and the NCAA wants to try and deny it. But these guys do have this individual market value, as much as some would like to pretend that it's about the name on the front of the jersey and not what's on the back of it. But uh, these schools want to give these players money, because and uh, we, uh, how do I know that? Because they continue to. And here's the case with this recruit, Brian Bowen, mm-hmm. who Louisville gave a hundred thousand dollars to, and it's just that's because I mean they do have individual value, and it's uh. And it shouldn't surprise us that there is corruption. And I mean, this is college athletics. It's a billion-dollar industry now, so of course there's going to be corruption in it. Yeah, exactly. When the feds got involved, you know what happened, right? The NCAA was probably doing this investigation. They were like, uh, 
we can't handle this. Exactly. And so they went and, and blabbed to the feds about what was going on and got them involved because, look, now that this is out in the public, this isn't an NCAA investigation. This will be dealt with pretty quickly. And now that's the thing I do. I mean, do we really do we want assistant basketball coaches getting arrested and going to jail over stuff like this? Like the government's involvement in it? But yeah, I mean, that's what it's the the NCAA that has it doesn't have subpoena power. It struggles to conduct these investigations. It's spread so thin because there's so many of them. So, yeah, I mean, I do believe that this this really does. This has less to do with all of the the, the law stuff about money laundering and fraud and bribery as much as it is that, uh, you know, it's it, amateurism. That's exactly. what this investigation is about. And I'm like, I, I mean, I don't know if that's really something that, you know, I want the, the FBI and the Justice Department uh, involving itself in. What needs to happen from all this is the NCAA needs to take a long, hard look in the mirror and try and figure something out, try and... And, and open a dialogue, create a discussion, and figure out what they can do to stop stuff like this from happening. Well, I mean, I, this is like their latest attempt at it, whether it but will or but not. But This isn't going to do anything. It's You're still going to have shady characters. Know. Yeah. You know, what you need to do is figure out a way to help the players out more so they're not going out and seeking stuff like this. Well, I mean, listen, they already know that there's a way, but the reason they don't want to is because it would eat it. Look, if the players started getting paid, then the coaches, the ADs, guys like Mark Emmert would start making a lot less uh, because the money already exists to pay the players. It's just going to coaches, and it's going to ADs, and it's going to these. I mean, you just look at the the, the size of these football staffs, the way that they've ballooned over the years. I mean, I guarantee there are some there are some athletic departments that probably have like bigger staffs than the White House does. Look, Rick Pitino was the highest paid basketball coach in the country in college. He was making seven point seven million, including seven hundred fifty thousand Louisville had to give him on July first as a retention bonus. So, I mean, this guy is not hurting for money, and he's going to be fine in that regard. But he's a slime ball, and it's finally caught up to him because there's when there's so much smoke around a program eventually something bad is going to happen, and this is what has right. happened. Right, and I agree. He is a slime ball, but uh, the way he was operating, he was operating because that's the system in place that the NCAA has created. But Because you know what Louisville could have done instead of uh, giving hookers to recruits or uh, you know going through uh, being bribed by shoe companies to pay a recruit? What if they had just been able to say, uh, here, here's $100,000? If yeah. Just right, like it's, I, you know, because I laugh sometimes when people get so, like when that Demetrius Robertson, when Notre Dame uh, rode that eighteen wheeler all the way down to Savannah. I oh. saw that eighteen wheeler on campus when I was there for oh, the did? game. I wanted to like, I forgot, I wanted to like take a picture of it or something, but I just didn't. But I was like, hey, I wonder, because I don't know if it was the same one, but I saw an eight an equipment truck like that for Notre. I was like, I wonder if that's the one that showed up in Savannah. Yeah, but like people are like, oh, recruiting has gotten so out of hand with the uh, with what these schools do to try and market themselves and uh, and appeal to recruits. And like, you know why they do that? The they, system breeds it. Right. You know, the, the reason they have to do stuff like that and, and bring out all these ridiculous gimmicks is because they can't just give them money. So, yeah, as sleazy as the stuff that Louisville was doing, um, they were doing it because they, they couldn't just simply do the alternative, which is, um, which is offer five-star recruits money. So instead, you know, they're having stripper parties in dorm rooms and uh, and then – well, you know, the situation here where they've got to 
they've got an agent that's giving money to a, an assistant coach mm-hmm. and they're bribing him with a shoe company and promise for this and uh, here's a hundred thousand dollars to your family but and you know people are like ah eh, yeah it happens I mean it's always corrupt and I'm not surprised by it and it's like well it, you're not put off by it kind of being you know, operating with this black market. But then the second you suggest, hey, what if the, what if there was this other system in place where Louisville could have just given him $100,000? And, uh, oh, That no. might be a little too. Oh, no, no, we can't have that. <laughs> but look, bottom, it's amateurism. Yeah. Bottom line, though, the system is broken. And I know we're about to wrap up here, but I just have to say the system is completely broken when stuff like this continues to happen. But the NCAA, as you've been alluding to, just kind of ignores it and sweeps it under the rug because they don't want to give up their autonomy. They don't want to give up that we're going to make all of this money and not have to share it with anybody yeah. that they do. But but they're the re- they're the reason that black market exists that's led us to what happened yesterday. Absolutely. Because they've decided what, what they want amateurism to be. And truthfully, it's not even amateurism because the athletes are getting something in exchange for their athletic services. It's just all these schools have come together and colluded to fix that price at uh, college tuition. Mark Emmert, Oliver Luck, all you people sitting on your high thrones in Indianapolis, you should be ashamed of yourselves. Well, it's like Ron Polk said, NCAA, no clue about anything. Absolutely. So that'll wrap things up on this edition of the crossover. Thank you so much for listening. You find us every week on 960theref.com. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes. Listen to The Morning Show with myself and David Johnson, Monday through Friday, 6 to 10 a.m., and the home team with Brame here and Jeff from 4 to 7 p.m. And I guess that's really it. We don't have anything else to say. So uh, we'll check y'all next week, hopefully after a Georgia win, hopefully after a Falcons win, and hopefully after all of this slime on college basketball has been at least started to be cleaned up. No, there'll be more of it. Yes, there will. That's just the tip of the iceberg. Yes, there will be. So we'll talk to you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Crossover Podcast right here on 960theref.com. You've been listening to the Crossover with Sam Franco and Chris Brain on 960theref.com. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.